We're turning our Bibles this afternoon, please, to the Gospel of Luke. We're turning to the Gospel of Luke, please, in the chapter 1, and we're turning to the verse 67. Luke, chapter 1, please, and the verse 67. We thought of Mary's song last week. Today we're thinking of Zachariah's song. Uh, Zachariah's song. We're going to read that here in Luke, in chapter 1, and the verse 67. Of course, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, and uh, John the Baptist, in this little portion, he's just been born, and Zechariah, he bursts forth in praise, and uh, here we are in verse 67, and his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, uh, blessed, blessed, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And have raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us, that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thy child shalt be called the prophet of the highest. Of course, he speaks of John the Baptist. And for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts. Songs of the first Christmas, we come to the second ever carol, so the carol that was ever sang, and it was sang of that of Zechariah, and last week we took time and we considered Mary's song. We noted why she recognized that God is mindful of us. We thought of how no matter what we're going through, that our God loves and cares for us intimately. And the fact that the God of this universe loves us, it gives us value. It gives us great value because the God who sits in the throne loves you and cares for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. What a wonderful thought. As we come to the Word of God, as we come to Christmas time, that the God of this universe loves you, cares for you, which gives you great value. And of course, last week we learned, secondly, from Mary's song, that we come to a God who is all-powerful. We learned that he is mighty over us. He knows our weaknesses, but we come to the God of the ages, the God of all history. And he is the God whom we can confidently place our lives in his hands. And this afternoon we come to consider this Zacharias song. You know, if I were able to gather all of the historians in the world together in one place, and if I were able to ask them one question, this is the question I think I would ask them. What is the greatest event in history? Or what is the most important, influential, or far-reaching, impactful moment in history? What is that moment? If you were able to choose one, I would ask them, I wonder what their answer would be. Maybe it would be some war that changed the course of history. 
or, or some civilization that rose to power and fell like the Roman Empire, or in more recent years the rise of powerful countries like the United States of America or Russia. But one thing is for sure, all of those historians in that room, they wouldn't be able to come to an agreement or a general consensus on what the key moment of the history of this world is. But I'm glad, I'm glad this afternoon that I don't need to get all those historians together to know what the greatest event in history is. Aren't you glad? You see, history itself has the answer for us. History is marked by B.C. before Christ and A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, meaning the years after the Lord, the birth of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, showing us that the most monumental event in all of human history was when God came down to this world. It was when the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, was born. It's the greatest event of world history. It rises above everything else, like an Everest. The greatest event when Christ came to this earth. It was profoundly influential. The most impactful, most most shaping moment of all human history when the Lord Jesus Christ came. We're going to see today as we come to the second carol that we find, the second song that we find in the Gospel of Luke, there that punctuates the Christmas story, we're going to find that Zechariah recognized this. He knew he was living in a moment in history that would never be repeated, and the most influential part, the most influential time that there ever was. Now, I think in order to understand Zechariah's song, it's important to think of Zechariah's story. And what I would like to do is give a little context. You see, in verses 5 to 7 of Luke chapter 1, we read these words. It says there that there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest called Zechariah of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and in ordinances of the Lord blameless. They had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Now I think it's very important to note what it says in verse 6. It says there, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. I wonder, could that verse be applied to your life? Righteous before God. Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Here was an old couple, barren, unable to have children, but in this wonderful story, God desiring to show that he regards the brokenhearted and that nothing human can stop his resolves. On their behalf, he sends the mighty angel Gabriel with a word for old Zechariah, and he tells Zechariah that they're going to have a son. And a very important child, that son, would be John the Baptist. You know, sadly, Zechariah didn't believe the news and said as much. So Gabriel responded with indignation. And we read of that in verses 19 and 20 because we see there the angel answering said unto him, Zechariah, he said, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. And I'm sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be done. 
and not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Nine months later, the time came, Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist. And at the child's circumcision, the neighbors started to call for the child to be called after Zachariah after his father. But in obedience, unable to speak at this time, still Zechariah wrote in the tablet and wrote, His name shall be John. And immediately his tongue was loosed. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And that's when he burst forth into this song that we have read together this afternoon. What will we learn from it? I wonder if you're ready to hear from God as you gather here. Hear Zechariah's song. I want you firstly to see the period of silence, that's the wrong PowerPoint that's up, but that's okay. We can just work with, we can work with it. We'll go. Forget the PowerPoint, we're okay. You can listen to me. You have to listen well now. Um, Zachariah's silence is the first thing that I want you to know. Zachariah had a nine-month silence to brood and to ponder and pray and meditate on his Bible, the Old Testament. And in that time of silence, he had had a divine rebuke from God, that God always turns his rebukes into rewards for those who keep faith. Remember that you might suffer maybe today from the scars of sins in the past, but if you keep faith from remembering that you have a God who is a pardoning God and confess your sin before him, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My God, he will turn marks of sin into memorials of grace. How do I know that? Because in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, we read these words, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You can imagine that Zachariah at first, he may have groaned within himself at this time of silence. He might have considered God's rebuke and it would have frustrated him. But in the end, the Lord in his mercy was going to reward Zechariah. Imagine the silence of those months, they were painful, but then gradually in the silence when he would, when he would not, not be able to converse with his wife or his friends, Zachariah began to see what was unfolding and what was happening. It began to sink into his head and heart that these were unrepeatable and incredibly significant days. In fact, these were days that would change the course of history, and the most significant moment ever in history was about to happen. You know, I can't pass over this experience of Zachariah's silence without making an application for you and I today. You see, if we don't seek out silence in our lives, we probably won't feel the significance of God's work in our lives. What do I mean? Well, we're called to be still. To be still and know that I am God. You know, would it be a rare thing to be gripped and moved deeply in a noisy room, wouldn't it? And there's close correlation between stillness and a sense of wonder. I mean, the most astonishing things is that there are so many, and we, we miss those moments because we're found with busy lives and constant noise, and we don't seek out silence, and we don't seek out times just to sit with the Lord. And how important those times of silence are, because that's when the Lord can speak in the stillness. And with that, that still small voice, Nine months Zachariah had that. Nine months to ponder. Nine months to think. 
Wonder what it would mean for your life if for nine months you couldn't say anything, if you were struck dumb. Well, I tried to imagine for myself but what would that would mean for me in my ministry, in home life. No preaching, no singing, no sharing one-to-one with people, but lots more seeing, lots more looking into the eyes of my loved ones, lots more reading great books, lots more writing, lots more prayer, lots more meditation of the Word of God, all in absolute silence. If God would ever give me such a period, I hope that I would turn it to as much good as Zechariah did. Because when Zechariah came out, he was filled with the Spirit of God, and he was singing a song filled with such insight and with a sense of significance of what was about to happen at the birth of the Lord Jesus. And so we ponder now how we're to seek silence in our lives. We ponder how we're to seek silence in our lives. Let us learn from what Zechariah learned in his silence. You see, he breaks into song because the Holy Ghost filled him. He began as a skeptic when the angel visited him. Now he's a mouthpiece for the gospel. And that's what God can do for you if you would allow him to fill him with the Spirit of God. And fill you with the Spirit of God. If you give him that time in the quiet place, if you allow him to speak to you, I'll tell you something, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you won't be able to help it. You'll be a mouthpiece for the gospel. The Holy Ghost, when he fills you, you'll open your mouth. And here's what the Holy Ghost did for Zechariah. He opened his mouth. And here he was, and, and we see Zechariah's song, and we see the different pictures, and just a few different pictures I want you to see. Of course, the song that we said, he, see your second song of the first Christmas, we see in verse 68 of Luke chapter 1, that in Zechariah's song, he sings of the prison door that was opened. That's the first thing I want you to note about the song. In Zechariah's song, the prison door opened. Verse 68. These are the words that we read there. It says, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. This is the opening line of Zechariah's song. You know, songs have a way of embedding themselves in our heads and in our memory, don't they? And it means that as soon as we hear the first line, we know what that song is. And this song of Zechariah, the opening line, has two very important words. The first one is visited. The second one is redeemed. God has visited. Second, God has redeemed. You see, the visit of the Lord Jesus to this earth, it wasn't just a royal visit. This wasn't the purpose of the visit. Why was God coming to visit? We'll look at the second word, to redeem. And what a very important first line. Dear child of God, this afternoon, let me tell you something. Zachariah understood that the Lord Jesus was coming to release the sinner from Jesus. To be redeemed, you see, it means to be set free by the paying of a price. It refers to the releasing of a prisoner. It refers to liberating a slave. It's to, to be set free, to redeem. And you see, Zechariah understood that God had freed and redeemed his people in the past. Zechariah remembered the time of Exodus, which was a millennium and a half before this event. And it was a time when God's people, Israel, were stuck in Egypt and enslaved by Pharaoh. And despite Pharaoh's resistance, God freed his people from their prison cell experience in Egypt 
through a series of pleas. Remember how that last plea was the worst? Death. The oldest son of each family would die. God had warned that it happened. But God also provided a way out through the death of a lamb. The lamb died and the people who trusted in God left. And Pharaoh, devastated by the decision to resist God, then let the people go. And God redeemed his people. He set them free. Here is the reality in our sin without Christ. We're sat in the prison cell. Nothing we could do will ever get us out. Nothing we could say. We're completely, we completely deserve to be sat in that prison cell. And Zechariah declares in faith and confidence in God's word, the Lord Jesus has burst open the door of the prison. We can say I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of the past, for I've traded my shackles for a glorious crown. I'm free. Praise the Lord. Free at last. The Lord Jesus came because you were drowning. Pulled down by the weight of your sin, miles from shore. And if you're drowning, it doesn't help you if someone comes along in a boat and says, Come on now, thrash a little bit more. Swim a bit better. You, you'll get yourself out of this mess. Just, just swim a bit better. No, you need someone to reach down their hand and to grasp yours and to pull you up into safety. And if you know you're drowning, you don't refuse the person whose hand is offered to you. You grab it and you splutter in gratitude that they came to your rescue. Dear child of God, this afternoon, as we come around to another Christmas time, our hearts should be filled with gratitude that the present door has been flung open. And today we walk in freedom from of sin. We know the peace of God in our hearts. How the opening line of this carol is so important. Which speaks of a prison door open. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He hath visited and redeemed his people. But the second picture I want you to see that Zechariah paints for us is a battle that's been won. He speaks of a horn of salvation. Look at verse 69. He says there, And have raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This image of the horn is an exciting image for any Christian when they fully understand it. Uh, what an image of strength to hold up before our mind's eye this Christmas that the Lord Jesus is a horn of salvation. The kind of horn meant here wasn't a musical instrument, but it was a deadly weapon, a little bit like a wild ox that would have been used in war. And this is actually the only place of the New Testament where the Lord Jesus is described as a horn. So we have to go back to the Old Testament, no doubt where Zechariah got the image from, to see what it means. You actually find this in Psalm 92, in verses 9 and 10. It gives us a picture of what this horn stood for, because it says there, For lo, thy enemies, O Lord, for lo, thy enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered, but thou hast exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. The horn is a sign of strength. It speaks of victory in war. The image that people would have had in those days was that of that strong ox. I wonder if you ever stood beside a big cow or a bull and, and thought, well, I wouldn't like that animal to get angry. Because you know it's stronger than you. And 
the bull's horns could even kill you. And it speaks of strength. And the Lord Jesus is the horn of salvation. He is, it speaks of strength. One who has won the battle against sin and Satan. There's a war that's been won. You see, this horn, it reminds us that the battle was won at the cross. And that's the reason why God came down at Christmas. Christ, he came to die. And he is the horn of salvation. That word salvation, it carries the meaning of health and soundness. But no matter what condition the sinner is, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Those who repent of sin and come to the Lord Jesus seeking his salvation are moved to the victory side. That's why we sing so often, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. You know, these are great words of Paul in Colossians 1 verse 12. He says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who have delivered us from the power of darkness, and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You know, we see in verse 70, the prophets had noted that the prophet had noted the coming of this horn of salvation. One of the clearest examples of such a prophecy really was in Psalm 132 where it says, There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will cloak with shame. There's the very announcement in the Old Testament of this moment that the horn would come. Psalm 132, verse 17. The horn that would sprout for David. Prepare a prepared lamp for my anointed. And his enemies I will clothe <coughs> You know, when that horn sprouts and knocks his head, it becomes like iron. And he must be feared by all his enemies. In the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, one always finds the conviction that God was the only one who could fight for Israel. And today, as the child of God, God is the only one who fights for you and for me. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ as you look past back over this past year of 2022, as it comes to its close, I'm sure many of us in this room, all of us, will have fought spiritual battles. All of us will have come under the attack of the devil at some stage in some shape or form. But let me tell you that each victory won was won by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And each spiritual battle that we face today, we fight it with the Lord Jesus Christ by our side. We fight it with the Spirit of God dwelling within. And what a great knowledge knowing that we have the one who has defeated the world. As we fight those spiritual battles, we have the one who has won the war. You know, not only is there the war that's won, but there's also the death that's been paid. That's the next picture that we are painted here. We find it in verse 77, the death is paid. We read here in verse 77 that he says, To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Remission means to send away, to dismiss a debt. We're all in debt to God. And our debt has been fully paid. All my iniquities on him were laid. He nailed them all to the tree. Jesus, the price of my sin, fully paid. He paid the ransom for me. And here we see Zachariah, he understands the job of his child, John the Baptist, to prepare the way, to give knowledge for the remission of sins. 
Look at verse 76 and 77, just read them together. He says, And now, child, and speaking to John the Baptist, his little baby in his arms, and now, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways and give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Of course, this was prophesied way back in Isaiah 40. The voice of John the Baptist would eventually cry, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And let me ask you this Christmas, I wonder what you'd be like, John, who announced the first coming of the Lord, calling people to behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. I wonder will we be the ones who warn of the second coming of Christ. Many signs of his return are starting to fall in the twigs. I wonder is your eye focused on the eastern sky, the Lord Jesus is coming and he'll rapture his church. I wonder, do you believe that, do you live each moment in the light of his return, or are you living in the shadow of the cross? Our task is the same as John the Baptist. We ought to use our voice to share the good news that others can know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that others can be reconciled, that their debt has been paid if only they will trust Christ as Savior. We have a message to share, and it's an urgent message. We have the very words of God before us. And as we read it, we ought to proclaim it. I wonder, will Christmas 2022 be a year that we cry out this message as the Church of Christ? Not missing the opportunities that we're given at this wonderful time of year when we meet with neighbours and friends and colleagues and colleagues and family. The Lord Jesus, he is the same yesterday, today and forever. He still speaks and dear brothers and sisters today, he still says, we are his messengers. We need to be his mouthpieces. We began with the illustration of gathering all the historians of the world together and asking them what the most significant moment in history was. Well, finally, as Zechariah draws his spiritual song to a close, he declares finally the dawn of a new day. This is the final picture he paints. He, he paints this picture of a new day, the dawn of a new day, for he speaks of the day, spring. Look at 78, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day string from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Day spring, it means sunrise. The people were sitting in darkness and death and distress gripped them. And then the Lord Jesus came and he brought light and he brought life <coughs> and he brought peace. It was the dawn of a new day because of the tender mercies of God. The old priest had not said anything for nine months, but he certainly compensated for his silence when he sang his praises to God. And how joyful he was that his son had been chosen by God to prepare the way for the Messiah. And his son was the prophet of the Most Highest, introducing to Israel the son of the Most High, who was conceived in Mary's womb by the power of the Highest. But of course, now here we see the day spring had arrived. This new dawn, joy is dawned upon the world, promised from creation. God's salvation not unfurled, hope for every nation. Not with fanfares from above, but with scenes of glory. Christ the Lord, now he's here, born in Bethlehem, Christ the Son of Glory. You know, what a great 
great time of year, what great opportunity we have. We can speak of the day spring. It came 2,022 years ago. There you have it. History is written from his birth to now in 2,022 years. And today as his people, we have great opportunity through this month to declare his name. He's a great God. Zechariah recognized it. He was living in a great time of history. Though we would say at this time of year with Mary last week, my spirit hath rejoiced in my Saviour. I know that with Zachariah we would cry, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and he has redeemed his people.